to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Pflugerville. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but it's also a learning experience. Working with her, I've learned all sorts of skills I can apply to my own inventions, like goat glasses. Goat glasses are glasses that make everyone look like goats. That's right, when you're wearing a pair of goat glasses, everyone around you will look like a goat. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? But as cool as goat glasses are, today's invention is even cooler. What could possibly be that cool? The International Space Station, or the ISS for short. The ISS is a lab that floats in space, 250 miles above the Earth, where scientists from all over the world can live and work. It is the size of a football field and weighs 460 tons. Wow! See what I said about how it was cool? But while the ISS may now be floating overhead, filled with scientists, not that long ago, the idea of a space lab in space was considered science fiction. A fantasy, impossible. But then, in the 1950s, humankind did something else that was impossible. They reached space! Or at least some things they built called satellites did. And the thing about humankind is when it does something impossible once, it always wants to do it again. So after satellites, it didn't take long for people to start wondering, what if we could put a person in space? And once that person was in space, what if they wanted to stay a while? Next thing you know, all over the globe, space programs were looking to build a space station. And in 1971, the Soviet Union managed to create one. Not long after, so did America and China. Now, these early stations were launched in one big piece and were filled with all their supplies and equipment from liftoff. Once the station was in space, the crew would be launched up to join the station. The crew would stay up there, do research until the supplies had been used up, and then they'd leave. And the station was abandoned. It was a lot of work and very wasteful. Then, in the 1990s, something amazing happened. The world space programs teamed up to build a space station together. And what they came up with was bigger and better than anything that came before. In fact, it was so big that it couldn't be launched in one big piece. The first module launched from Russia on a proton rocket. Two weeks later, a space shuttle from the US brought the next module, then another. Each time, astronauts from different countries would work together to perform spacewalks and connect the parts of the station together. That's right, 
the International Space Station had to be taken into space piece by piece and built in orbit using spacewalking astronauts and robotics. And it's still added to today. The ISS is powered by solar panels and has bedrooms and science labs on board. The station is about the size of a six-bedroom house, has two bathrooms, gym facilities, and a 360-degree bay window. Oh. The ISS flies at an average altitude of 248 miles above Earth. It circles the globe every 90 minutes at a speed of 70,500 miles per hour. The space station can be as bright as the planet Venus and appears in the night sky as a fast-moving light. It can be seen from Earth without the use of a telescope by anyone. Even you! And if you wear goat glasses, it'll look like a goat. <laughs> there is usually an international crew of seven people that live and work on board the ISS. However, sometimes this number can change. For example, in 2009, 13 crew members visited the ISS at once. This is the record for most people in space ever at one time. Now, once they're on the ISS, Astronauts will usually spend a period of six months conducting various science experiments and maintaining and repairing the station itself. Astronauts test out products, do experiments, and study the effects of living in zero gravity. Since crews are responsible for maintaining the station, they sometimes have to venture on spacewalks outside of the ISS to perform repairs, which can be pretty scary. Fortunately, NASA has produced several machines to reduce the need of these dangerous spacewalks. The ISS even has 57-foot external robotic arms that can be controlled from the inside. Since its creation, more than 3,600 researchers have conducted more than 2,500 experiments on the ISS. But more important than any experiment is what the ISS shows us about humankind itself. 244 individuals from 19 countries from all sorts of families with all sorts of beliefs and lifestyles have visited the International Space Station and despite these differences, they've successfully managed to work, live, and thrive. The ISS shows us all that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you're from, we're all people or goats and together we can do anything. Oh, hi there! Welcome back to Pflugerville! It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but sometimes I get tired of kicking sides and want to just take a moment to sit on my boombox butt and cast a little pod or podcast about my favorite subject, invention. Why invention? Well, for one thing, I am an invention. That's right, from my parts made of tools to my boombox butt, every inch of me is a Lucy Wow original. Now, when Lucy Wow invented me, she didn't know I'd become a podcaster. That's one of the fun parts about inventing. Your creations go on to have a life of their own. They grow and change, becoming a podcast host like me or the star of a parade like today's invention. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Balloons. The Macy's Day Parade is the biggest parade in the world. Every year on American Thanksgiving, 
millions of people lined the streets of New York City with millions more tuning in on TV to watch the parade. In particular, people love to watch the huge balloons floating above the street of America's biggest cities. But while these balloons are part of people's holiday traditions today, they had to be invented first. It all started in 1924 when, in order to promote Christmas shopping at Macy's, store employees started a parade. It was a simple parade, just people in funny costumes, a few floats, some local bands, and live animals borrowed from the Central Park Zoo, marching down the street. Well, actually, there was one special thing about this parade. Santa Claus was in it. That's right! Santa himself arrived at the end of the parade and was crowned on the Macy's balcony at the 34th Street store entrance. Well, it turns out that Santa can bring in the crowds. And to the parade organizer's surprise, over 250,000 showed up to see the jolly old elf. Wow! In the face of this kind of success, Macy's declared the parade would become an annual event. And so from then on, the parade happened every year. And each year, more people watched. Bigger crowds meant Macy's had to keep making the parade itself bigger. Fortunately, a man from Guatemala named Anthony Tony Sarga, who was a puppeteer in New York, had an idea so big that it would change Thanksgiving forever. Tony wanted to replace the live zoo animals with large animal-shaped balloons that he had designed. It was a crazy idea, but also an awesome one. So Macy's agreed to do a test run. In 1928, they put five of Tony's large balloons in the parade. These first balloons included a 21-foot-tall human, a 60-foot-long dinosaur with a caveman holding its ropes, a 25-foot douchehound, and the first character balloon ever, Felix the Cat. The balloons flew 2,000 feet above the crowds and completely stole the show. People had never seen anything like it. These balloons weren't just new and they weren't just big. They were valuable. You see, at the end of the parade, they were simply released to the air to deflate on their own and whoever was lucky enough to find and return one would receive a $100 reward. Oh. Like giant Pokemon, people wanted to catch them all. Now, eventually, they stopped releasing the balloons to deflate on their own. But it didn't matter. People were hooked on the big floating figures. And the rest, as they say, is history. In a few years' time, thanks to the balloons, over one million people were showing up every year, lining the parade route, looking up with smiles on their faces. But wait, how do you make a giant balloon fly over the Big Apple? Like many inventions, it begins with a pencil. A designer sketches out a new balloon idea that includes notes about the aerodynamics and engineering. Then they take these designs and make two clay models. One is used to calculate density or size and weight and wind resistance. The other model is used to experiment with the colors and effects needed to make the balloons look cool. When they've perfected the models, they move on to figuring out how much helium, a, a chemical that is lighter than air and makes the balloon float, the balloon needs. Not enough helium and the balloon won't fly. Too much, Ed? Well, did you ever see the movie Up? <coughs> to figure out the helium amounts needed, they put the clay model in a pool of water. The water the model displaces 
combined with the number of gallons needed to make the model float, gives the amount of helium they need. And once that's figured out, they scan it all into a computer, and special machines cut out the pieces needed of fabric, rubber, and plastic, and then heat seal them together. Ooh. Oh, and in case you wondered, instead of the air hole on a normal balloon, these balloons have zippers attached for easy deflation. <laughs> After the balloon is constructed, it is blown up and painted. That's right, the balloon is painted by hand to allow for greater detail. Now, most Macy's balloons reach heights over five stories and have a goat load of helium in them. So it's important that someone holds on to them, or rather, many someones. These people who hold the balloon ropes are called handlers, and they have to weigh over 120 pounds and practice on the street to make sure that no one gets hurt or carried away. Oh. As you can see, it's a lot of work, but if you ask me, it's worth it. Who knows? Maybe one day you'll see a kapow balloon flying up there. But until then, when you see those amazing balloons, just remember, before they were bouncing in the wind over the streets of New York City, they were just an idea bouncing around in an inventor's head. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe your next idea will be flying through the sky one day. Hello, dear citizens of the world. I'm Guy Neville. Or perhaps you know me better by my superhero name, Guy-O-Matic, protector of Pflugerville. People often say to me, Guy-O-Matic, I want to be just like you, but I don't have any awesome superpowers. Well, they are wrong. Everyone has superpowers, even you. You have the power of imagination, the power of creation, and the power of invention. And with powers like these, you can change the world. Oh. A super invention is an invention that turns you into a superhero or super villain. And today's invention has been on both sides, good and evil. I'm talking about Bikini Bottom's own supercomputer, Karen Plankton. Now, like Kapow, Karen Plankton is an invention and a sidekick created by Sheldon J. Plankton. Karen lives in the Chum Bucket Laboratory, not far from SpongeBob's Pineapple, where she helps Plankton with his evil plans to steal the Krabby Patty formula. Now, while Plankton may have invented Karen, She's made herself into the supercomputer we see today. You see, at first, when she was just invented and only a baby, Karen was a calculator. But she improved and grew, and soon she became a security system at the dump. From there, she grew and evolved into a supercomputer. But she's not just any supercomputer. Karen has a personality and a sense of humor. I mean, when was the last time your laptop made a joke? And has your phone ever even gotten married? Because Karen did. Karen fell in love with Sheldon J. Plankton's evil brain, and the two of them became husband and wife. Aww. Or uh, would it be planktonic cope pod and waterproof supercomputer? Eh, <laughs> whatever. Either way, they're a couple. Thanks to her constant growing and improving, Karen is now the smartest resident of Bikini Bottom. 
She not only helps Plankton with his evil plans, but she is also co-owner of the Chub Bucket and works as chef and cashier. Though, uh, to be honest, she rarely has to do these jobs since the Chum Bucket almost never has customers. Karen has two main forms, a big monitor on the wall and a portable wheelie computer. Karen's wall form is a Mark III Surplus WIFE-O-Matic 1000. It's a wired integrity female electroencephalograph model, which is a big blue monitor with a black screen. Her neon green face is projected on the screen, which allows her to smile and frown. In addition to her screen, she also has a keyboard, tubes, levers, a clock, and all sorts of buttons. Yeah, I wouldn't push any of them if I was, uh, if I was you. Karen's other main form is a Mark II Surplus, UNIVAC, Universal NI Variable Automatic Computer Model which contains a blue desktop computer head, a black screen face, and a silver body stand, and a silver base with wheels. Once again, her face appears on the screen, so you can tell if she's happy or sad just by looking at her. But while those are Karen's two main forms, she's a very advanced computer and can go inside all of other forms of technology and control them. This includes the fist on top of the chum bucket, which she can turn into a talking submarine, and which Plankton uses as a traveling restaurant from time to time. She's also wired into many parts of the Chum Bucket building, so she can control the lights and temperature. Kind of like uh, Alexa or Siri, but uh, <laughs> way cooler. Karen can also shoot lasers, cook food, uh, even though she's incapable of eating, and turn herself into a television and control the minds of others. Now, that's one heck of an invention. Which brings us to Karen's last, but not least, skill. Karen is also a master inventor. That's right! Like Kapow, Karen is an invention that invents. She's built everything from freaky robot battle suits to parts of the Glove Universe amusement park. And while Karen does not have a heart, technically, she is able to feel things and love things. And even though she doesn't always show it, she loves Plankton more than anything else. Even though he's a uh, pretty evil. So while Karen was invented to be a calculator, as you can see, she grew into a supercomputer with a personality and unique life of her own. Wow! Now, as we always say here on the podcast, it's not the tool that makes the hero or the villain. It's how the tool is used. And this is a perfect example. Karen herself isn't good or bad. She's just Karen. But when a super invention like Karen works with Plankton, it leads to evil acts, like the end of the Krabby Patties as we know it. But when Karen is working with gal pal Sandy Cheeks, you get acts of heroism, like the building of Bikini Bottom University. Karen may not be 100% hero or 100% villain, but one thing is for sure, she's 100% super invention. Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Guy Neville's Power of Super Invention podcast. Come back next week when I'll be covering more super inventors and super inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? Huh, it's true. There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat Kapow. Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger.
Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner. I'm in the club, so uh, I get to hear all the stories. And you can too. Uh, just uh, keep on the lights, folks. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or Lil' Ol' Me, send it to Guy at GoKidGo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Guy Omatic signing off. Go, kid, go! Go, kid, go!